Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today we have RJ Bates III with Titanium Investments. And he flew in from Dallas to share how he and his partner are flipping in 10 different markets and getting to this in just under five years. If this is your first time tuning in, I'm Steve Trang and I help entrepreneurs create businesses that support their family, lifestyle, and goals through mentorship. I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. If you want to be one of those millionaires, please drop me a message on Instagram at steve.trang. If you're excited for today's show, please give me a wave, give me a thumbs up. And as a friendly reminder, I do not charge a dime for this show. I don't make any money doing this. So here's all I ask. This is what it costs for you to listen to this show. If you get value from this show, please tell a friend, either share this episode right now, tag a friend below, or tell them your best takeaway from the show later on. That way we can all grow together. You ready? I'm ready. All right. So guys, it's a live question. So be sure to ask uh, your questions for RJ to answer. So first question is, what got you into real estate? So my partner, Cassie, and I, we were general contractors. And, uh, you know, we, we started our company, our first company in 2012. And it was just a constant struggle. I mean, we were, to be quite frank, not very good contractors. And that was because myself as a leader, you know, I, it wasn't what I was meant to do. You know, I, it just, it didn't resonate with me. And, but we, you know, we were getting hired by different real estate investors to do their flips. And I kept asking questions. You know, I was like, how did you find this, you know, terribly ugly house in this beautiful neighborhood, you know? And the constant theme was I kept hearing the word wholesaler, you know, I bought it from a wholesaler. You know, this guy, he emails me, you know, a deal a day. And as a general contractor, you're kind of the middleman. You have your subcontractors and you have your client. And as a wholesaler, that's what you are. You're the middleman. And so for me, it immediately resonated. I'm like, we're not really changing a whole lot about our business except for the the industry that we're in. You know, instead of trying to sell a bathroom remodel, we're we're gonna sell real estate. And mm -hmm. there's a lot less work on the background. And so uh, we we took the leap of faith on January 1, 2015, after probably wholesaling four or five deals. Um, I've shared the story about the, the moment that I really knew that this is what we were supposed to do is we contracted a, a property and after, in Texas, we have option periods that we have to pay for. We don't get free inspection periods like other states. Right. So after $1,000 earnest money and $100 option fee, that much pushed us down to $11 in all of our bank accounts. And that deal, you know, I had to go to Cassie and say, you're gonna have to trust me that I'm gonna be able to wholesale this. It's a really good deal, you know? And in the, the meantime, she's kind of looking at me like, are you crazy? Like we need to save every dollar that we have to make sure we stay afloat. And we made $11,000 on that deal. Never really looked back and, and, you know, that first year of 2015, we did a little bit over $700,000. How much? In assignment, 700,000 and assignment fees we didn't even know what we were doing man. pretty good first year yeah but we literally we were wholesaling off the mls mm -hmm. we didn't know what direct mail cold calling you know sms and rvms weren't even a thing back then so yeah you know we were just taking massive imperfect action is what we did at the beginning so it's pretty cool to hear that you guys been partners from, from the get-go yeah because i see you two work together and I figure you just got screwed up a bunch of times. <laughs> and it's like, please, someone help me. You know, God sent someone my way. Right. And then she, you know, he put her in your life. Right. So, no, it's been from the get-go. Yeah. So, Cassie and I have been really good friends for 13, 14 years. Mm -hmm. So, we were friends before we were ever business partners. And she was the one that one day said, hey, we should start a business together. And we had some awkward moments at the beginning because we didn't know – the who was supposed to be the leader and you know we didn't know about visionary and integrator and all these things that these beautiful books like traction have nowadays that outline that so so much information available now exactly so it is a it's a it's a cool relationship that we have together for sure yeah. very cool so your first deal yep the one that kind of was a proof of concepts yep so that one was a deal we found out the mls uh, they, they had it listed for 100000 I offered them 92000 This is what my guru told me to do, okay? You go on the MLS, you find deals, and then you put it on Craigslist. So I contracted it for ninety two. I put it on Craigslist for $100,000. Um, got a call from a buyer probably 30 minutes after, and he's like, hey, I'm at your house. 
I want to take a look at it. And my guru didn't tell me what to do when someone called to say they wanted to see the house. But I knew, like, we can't just allow it. I can't just go over there and let them in because there's a realtor involved. Like, mm-hmm. I had enough common sense to know this. I'm like, hold on, I have to call my realtor. And he's like, nah, don't worry about it. The window's open. I'm, I'm just crawling through. So he just crawled through, <laughs> and I'm freaking out. <laughs> Cassie's freaking out in the background, you know. And we're like, what is happening? And uh, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I, I can do this. I'll take it. So he climbed back out through the window, and we assigned it for – well, actually, we double-closed it mm-hmm. because I was that's what I was told to do. And uh, we made $7,000, and, you know – that proved, even though there's never been a deal that went down like that again, it proved the concept that wholesaling could work. And it, it literally spurred us to continue down this path. Cool. So what were some of your early struggles? Uh, I, to be honest with you, man, or looking back at it, there weren't a whole lot of struggles back in that 2015. I mean, we were just rocking and rolling. We were coming from struggling so much as contractors that i mean for us picking up deals with no marketing and we were able to dispo them to local buyers we got connected to different education programs people in them that were helping us co-wholesale and dispo them to people from all around the country so we were able to wholesale deals to people living in california arizona New York, Virginia, Boston, without ever talking to them, we would just go do videos, take pictures and dispo them. So looking back at it, man, the the struggles for us came later on down the road once we actually figured out what we were doing. When we didn't know what we were doing, we we didn't know what a struggle was, you know? Mm-hmm. If we had a $50,000 a month, I mean, that was more than, than Cassie and I had ever made in our entire lives. So we were coming from literally nothing. So for us, there weren't very many struggles early on. So you guys are flipping across the, across the country now. Yep. But at that time you were focused strictly on wholesaling. Just on wholesaling. All right. So, you know, we mentioned the book Traction a moment ago and we were yep. talking about partners. Yep. And one thing that I've said on the show multiple times is that I don't believe in partnerships, but I'm also a hypocrite because <laughs> right. I have multiple partners. Right. So talk about the struggle in having a partner. Yeah. So. I would say that would probably be one of our early struggles. I guess mm-hmm. looking at it from that aspect, you know, not directly correlated to the business, but learning how to work together, um, going from friendship to I'm number one, talking to Cassie, who I view as my equal, but in the company, bigger number one. Yeah, some people are, are going to claim she's number two, mm-hmm. just in the hierarchy, and also because of our sex. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's been since, you know, day one. Um, that communication was a huge issue. Um, and then also making sure that we were on the same page. You know, there, there for a while, I would just make the goals and kind of say, hey, this is our goal for 2016, or here's our goals. And <laughs> Cassie didn't really... Oh, one-way street, here's <laughs> our goals. Right, exactly. <laughs> And so I had to, to grow and mature and realize yeah. that, you know, she's just as much a part of this as I am. And, and so now it's, it's a lot easier for us to communicate and know where we're going as a company. Gotcha. Very cool. Um, so obviously, you know, with the, the being in 10 different markets, you want to just rattle off the list real quick, all the different markets you're in? Yeah, we'll, we'll start from the far west to east. That's how I remember it. So mm-hmm. Hawaii. Um, Anchorage, Alaska, Phoenix, Arizona, and then we've got DFW, San Antonio, Austin, Tulsa, uh, St. Louis, Missouri, and then we've dabbled a little bit in Ohio and Birmingham, Alabama. Gotcha. All right. So whose crazy idea was it to go in 10 different markets? That was mine. That was mine for sure. And it started back with the, the, the ability to wholesale properties to virtual investors. So in 2015, I could pick up a property on the MLS and if the numbers were right and accurate, then I could wholesale it to someone living anywhere in the country. Mm -hmm. And this program taught them that you virtually flip. You do not flip in your own backyard. So 
you know, as we were having traction doing that in DFW, I was like, well, there's only so many deals that we could pick up on the MLS in DFW. So why don't I go down to San Antonio and Austin and check out those markets? And then we were able to wholesale some there. So then it was like, all right, let's go to Seattle and Portland and Baltimore and Phoenix. And that's how we came to Phoenix. You know, I mean, we probably wholesaled like four or five off the MLS to these investors. And this is what spurred us to all these different locations and start creating relationships in different markets. What are some of your challenges in trying to wholesale in so many or flip in so many markets? Well, now, I mean, obviously we, we learn when we transition from just wholesaling to, to flipping, I mean, we learned very quickly that there's a whole, that's a whole nother animal and managing contractors virtually is, is almost impossible. So the first ever virtual flip that we did in San Antonio, uh, we lost our rears on it, but we learned a lot of lessons and we made sure now that anytime we do a flip, we have boots on the ground that are trusted, that can report back to us, give us regular updates and make sure the contractors are doing the right things. Cause Otherwise, we were just bound for failure. All right. So started obviously in DFW. What was your second market? Uh, we went down to San Antonio and Austin after that, but it's pretty close as Phoenix. Okay. So, yeah, let's just start with Phoenix then, right? Because yep. now you're in another state. Yep. So you start Phoenix. What's the first step to start? You're like, all right, I'm going to start flipping in this other city. <laughs> What's the first step? Yeah. So we never go into a market and decide that we're just going to flip unless it's a really unique situation like Alaska. So in Phoenix, we came here, wholesaled, you know, four or five, 10 properties. I don't know the exact number. And then when an opportunity came and we had the trusted boots on the ground here, Jeremy Demers, that's when we decided, okay, we feel comfortable taking a flip down. Um, some other examples of that, like Hawaii, everybody wants to know, like, how'd you end up in Hawaii? Um, it's not because I'm crazy and just said, let's go flip houses in the most remote location on the planet. It was because my childhood best friend, Elijah De La Garza, um, he was already an entrepreneur and a business owner. He's a contractor. I mean, there was really no reason for us to not do this. Mm -hmm. You know, he's a contractor, we're investors, and he was like, man, you got to check out this market. So that was one of those unique situations where we said, you know what, we're okay, just immediately start flipping there. Mm -hmm. Because wholesaling there is going to be a little bit cumbersome to find. I mean, honestly, it's almost like they don't really kind of understand what's happening. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like here you can have a pretty large buyer's list. Most everybody, if they want to buy from wholesalers, they're going to do it there. It's kind of like everybody's individually sourcing their own deals. And so we just jumped right into flipping and, you know, we started there one at a time. And so you're then, saying everyone listening should feel comfortable going to Hawaii. Exactly. That's <laughs> what you should. Well, I, I will say this. It is an amazing market, mm -hmm. but if you do not have that local person that fully understands like how to speak Hawaiian, respect the land, live that aloha spirit, like mm -hmm. It, it sounded silly to me. Like when Elijah first started telling me, he's like, dude, you got to have the Aloha spirit. Like you, you got to, sometimes it's boom by, you got to mm -hmm. slow down, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and that's the case, man. Like really, uh, we were talking about it earlier today. Sometimes you got to slow down to go faster. Mm -hmm. Like that is one of the best markets that we've learned that is in Hawaii. Yeah. Cause there's so. probably a lot of massive distrust. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. We're trying to take their land. Yeah. I'm a mainlander. I, they don't want me to buy their land, but right. Elijah, He's embraced that culture. Yeah. So they want to do business with him. That makes sense. And then we'll get to how you got to this position as far as uh, being, you know, access to a lot of capital. But I imagine having access to a lot of capital was probably part of this equation as well. Yes. Yes. So let's talk about that then. Um, how did you come to get access to a lot of capital? Masterminds. That is where almost two things. Podcast, starting a podcast, mm -hmm. right? Probably one of the best things you've ever done in your life, right? Best thing ever done. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the best things I've ever done and attending masterminds. But there's enough real estate podcasts, guys, so don't start anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the, the podcast was uh, an amazing opportunity to, to open up my voice to other people, to mm -hmm. allow them to know our journey. And honestly, I mean, most of the time you're just asking questions as the host, right? Mm -hmm. But people immediately give you this sense of credibility because, you know, you're sitting there asking me questions. Mm -hmm. And 
how you construct this interview and, and uh, you know, kind of take the conversation from whatever jumbles coming out of my mouth, you know, yeah. and, and they respect that. And then they want to do business with you. And then from there, attending masterminds where people are like, oh, you're, you're RJ Bates, you're the Titanium Vault. I've listened to your podcast and hey, let's have dinner tonight. And then sure enough, that conversation goes to how can we do business together? And yeah. there's been plenty of times where I've literally been at a mastermind and I've been like, hey, I need 300,000 for a flip. And it's like, cool, send me the send me the, the documents right now and I'll wire it during lunch break, mm-hmm. you know? So those are the two best ways that we've been able to raise private capital. Sounds like they go hand in hand though. Yes, So absolutely. the authority you gained from being a podcaster yeah. and then being in front of people to leverage that credibility. Absolutely, and, and here's the thing. It, Podcast is mine and yours chosen platform, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm very passionate about the fact that you need to choose whatever you're most comfortable with. If it's a blog, if it's, if you're crazy like Pace Morby and you want to walk around with your cell phone in your hand and do 800 IG stories a Mm -hmm. day, then that's what you do, you know? (laughs) But it builds, that's your platform. It builds that credibility and it's just like Gary V says, man, don't create, just document. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, for you and I, we're literally just pulling out of people their stories. And and at that point in time, you know, we, we've been able to do other things like speak on stage and mm-hmm. actually share our stories to other people. So, yeah, whatever you feel, whatever medium you want to choose, just make sure you choose one and get your voice out there. Right, the one you feel most comfortable doing consistently. Yes. Very cool. Uh, and then, so talk about the podcast, like how, how do you structure, you know, you got, I'm, I'm, I'm reading this right here, this list, right? I mean, you wholesale around, across the country, you flip across the country, landlord, lender, podcast host, charity director, and, and you also run a mastermind. So, you know, being a podcast host, what does that entail? What does your work, you know, week look like? Yeah. So podcast, so podcast host, um, I chose a much different path than you did. Like you wanted video to be a part of your podcast from up front. Um, I didn't know if I was going to be good at it. Mm-hmm. Like this was something that I really wanted to push myself. I had never listened to a podcast before I started my own, except for two. The one that I was a guest on the Joe Fairless podcast that I did in a laundry room and couldn't breathe for the first 15 minutes. Why couldn't you breathe? I was so nervous. Oh, okay. I was, I was, I did it on a cell phone yeah. uh, through Skype and I was just, I was so nervous. I mean, I, I probably turned red at the beginning of this. Like it, it just, it's one of those things. Like I care so much about getting my, my voice out there mm-hmm. that it, it can almost overwhelm me at times. And then the second one was with Don Costa. Um, and that was the one that I got fired up during. Like I was like, I enjoyed that. Like, I want to share what I'm going through. And real estate investing changed my life, changed my family's life. If it only reaches 10 people, I'm okay with it. So mm-hmm. I just did audio only. I went to Best Buy, I bought a Yeti mic. And I said, all right, I'm just going to start interviewing people. And so to this day, I mean, the interview itself, 30, 40 minutes. And outside of that, maybe another 20, 25 minutes and editing and getting it posted. I do it all myself. I enjoy it. It's not work. I don't want to outsource it. I know I could hire a VA. Everybody yeah. looks at me like I'm crazy, but I like doing it. Right. So it's all me and maybe, you know, hour, hour and 15 minutes per interview. Yeah. So guys that are listening, you know, I'm not trying to denigrate what you've done or, you know, what, what I've done, but if you guys are trying to establish authority, yep, right? It takes just less than two hours a week right, to get a podcast out there. So, you know, if you guys are thinking about it, definitely, you know, trying to raise capital or whatever, look at podcasting as an option in addition to Instagram and so on. Yep. Um, now, do you think there's any irony that, you know, you said that you were not a good uh, GC, but you're flipping across the country? Well, the reason why I wasn't a good GC is because it wasn't something that gave me energy. Mm-hmm. I, I, did, I didn't purposely want to fail, but I wasn't taking the steps to succeed either. Mm. You know, I, I, there was no vision. Yeah. The vision was, I want to make shit look cool. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to make a really awesome bathroom so I can get 
35 likes on Facebook and feel good about myself for making $1,000 on a bathroom remodel. Like, yeah. it just, it wasn't, there wasn't a plan there. And when it became real estate investing and then when we transitioned to flipping and Cassie was always good at the GC business. The reason why that business failed is because of RJ, mm -hmm. not because of Cassie. And so she's always been able to manage contractors. I love it when we meet a new contractor and we show up at the house and they talk to me for the first 15 minutes and I don't say a word. And then all of a sudden Cassie comes in and says, all right, this is what you're going to do. This is what we need, blah, blah, blah. And then they're like, <laughs> what? what? Why are we, why are we talking to her? I thought we were going to, no, that's, yeah. that's not, that's not what I'm in charge of. So the, the, it is a little bit ironic. You're the first person that's kind of pointed it out. Yeah. And, and I've always been waiting for someone to be like, <laughs> Why are you flipping houses if you weren't good at fixing up houses before? But and Elijah's a contractor, and mm -hmm. so we do a lot of volume in Alaska and Hawaii that he's in charge of as well. So uh, the GC I use for my flips is also a woman. Yep, and she's like, yeah, they just look right past me, and you know, they they don't listen, and then they realize that I am in charge, and they're going to figure that out. <laughs> Detail oriented. Yeah, you know. So, and then you're also lend as well. So when I say lend, I'm I'm more referring to owner financing. Yeah. So, you know, it's not like I am not a hard money lender. So for <laughs> don't hit me up for that. Uh, but, you know, we own our finance um, and that's one of our, you know, I, I want to create passive income. And immediately I took that to like rentals. Mm -hmm. And then I realized, hey, that's going to take us some time to build up those processes and those systems. And um, there's a lot more manpower that has to go into that. So owner financing, removing that maintenance, the vacancy, the capital expenditures, all of those items that allowed us to create that, that passive income that we really weren't receiving with rentals. So right. that's what I mean by that. Gotcha. And then I saw you did a big, uh, golf tournament not yep. too long ago. What was that about? Yeah. So that was our, our third annual titanium golf classic presented by easy street capital. Um, all of those proceeds go to our uh, local nonprofit in Texas, Beat Kids Cancer. Um, so this is not real estate related, but please give me four or five minutes to, to share this story. So in 2012, when, when we started our company, 2012 started with my niece being diagnosed with leukemia, mm. um, followed by, that was June, July, 2012. August started the first company. September, my dad passed away. October, my son was born. That was my 2012. That's when I became an adult mm -hmm. and, and grew up real quick. Yeah. Uh, we learned that childhood cancer is severely underfunded. Um, if you and I were diagnosed with leukemia, we would receive the same treatment that Riley received when she was three years old. Um, significant side effects. Um, you know, it's the, the side effects are almost as crippling to, to the child as the, the disease itself. Um, we also learned about the financial burden that families undertake when their child's going through treatment. You know, most of the time, at least one of the parents is not allowed to leave the hospital for, you know, a month, two months, um, if not longer. So what we do at Beat Kids Cancer is we take all 100% of the funds that are received and we help families that are undergoing treatment, pay their mortgage bills, their car payments, keep their lights and water on and things along those lines. As well as during the Christmas season, we also make sure every kid in the family, not just the one undergoing treatment, has Thanksgiving dinner and Christmas presents on Christmas morning. So the Titanium Golf Classic was my vision of real estate investors make a, a lot of money, right? Yes, they do. And, and we do this for freedom of time, right? Mm -hmm. So surely real estate investors play a lot of golf, right? No, real estate investors are the worst golfers of all time, okay? Right. But they rallied around the cause and, and it's been amazing. Um, I think this year we were just short of $30,000 raised at the golf tournament. All of those proceeds go to beat kids cancer. Um, and we have other people locally in the DFW market that have just rallied around it so much. Uh, Ryan Jackson has a local meetup in, in Texas called Texas Tuesdays in Fort Worth. 
And man, he donates. He literally auctions off his speakers at his local RIA. Mm-hmm. And just this past Tuesday, raised over eleven thousand dollars for B Kids Cancer. So it's That's just awesome. been amazing to see the the real estate investing community rally around our, our cause there. That's really cool. Uh, all right, so guys, we're at seventy four live viewers right now, and uh, RJ said he was going to do something special. If we can get to a hundred live viewers, so you want to talk about that? Yeah, yeah. So what I want to do is is uh, if you don't, if you haven't heard yet, um, we have started a online mastermind group called Next Level Flipping. Um, Cassie and I, along with Ryan Robeson, are in charge of the Rising Stars program, which is for people doing 25 or less deals a year. Um, online mastermind, really cool things. Check it up, nextlevelflipping.com. Um, it's only $100 a month or $1,000 annually. But what I want to do today is, is if you share this interview, and you tag me, okay, RJ Bates the third. What's your what's your hashtag for this? Real estate disruptors. Real estate disruptors, yeah. Okay, hashtag real estate disruptors. One hundred millionaires. Okay, and one hundred millionaires. Okay, you got to do those two hashtags and tag me. Share this interview. Um, I'm going to pull out random on IG Live. Um, one, two, three. I don't know. It depends on how many shares we get, but I'm yeah. going to allow people to join Next Level Flipping for a year for free. Okay. But you got to share the post, tag me, drop hashtag real estate disruptors, hashtag 100 millionaires. Yep. And then I will do an IG live uh, later this week to pull out the winner for a year of next level flipping. So there you go. Awesome. All right. So guys, share this episode. Okay. So as far as your whole entire operation, right? I mean, uh, 10, 10 cities is impressive. Right. And we're looking at actual deal flow. You know, how much wholesale, how much flipping? What are you guys looking like per month? So... The highest amount of volume is going to be DFW always. Um, and and part of that's intentional because it's it's RJ and Cassie and we have a little bit of control there. Um, but it's also because it's the market that we understand the best. Um, and it's also the largest team that we have. A lot of our other teams are much smaller and getting smaller by the day intentionally. Um, so in, in DFW, we can do anywhere from 15 to 20 deals a month. Mm-hmm. Um, majority of that being wholesale, um, you know, say average month, three to five flips. Um, if we're really flowing good, um, full transparency, like we've had some, some problem child properties when it comes to flipping, um, in, in each market. And, and a lot of that was the learning curve of trying to grow too fast. Yeah. You know, um, RJ decided he wanted to be the cookie monster and buy the entire United States. And we didn't have the systems and processes set up for that, you know, and I have not been shy talking about that. You right. know, I, I, I want everybody to fully understand because look, it's easy to sit back here and be like, you know, I could throw out impressive numbers. Mm-hmm. But I want people to fully understand that along with that comes a lot of heartache with ones that aren't going so well. Um, So 15 to 20 deals a month in the DFW market. Um, Hawaii and Alaska, we're only flipping. So those are, you know, our goal moving forward in 2020 is to sell one and buy one a month. We want to do 12 flips in Hawaii and 12 flips in Alaska. That's our goal. And, And the reason why is because we feel like that those two branches could be two, a $2 million company right mm-hmm. there just by doing 24 deals. And it's it's very obtainable um, with very little overhead. Um, that organization will be solely run by myself, Cassie, and Elijah. Um, we might have some other employees like executive assistants and stuff to pay bills and do, do things along those lines. But that is our goal in those markets. Um, Arizona, um, we're, we're going to try to get to just wholesaling here. Um, I don't want to compete with the big dogs like you guys. Uh, <laughs> but here's the thing. I mean, I've, I've fallen in love with the city of Phoenix, the people here. Um, y'all's atmosphere is amazing. I want to be more involved in the Arizona market. And I think the best way that we can support you guys and help the Phoenix market is by wholesaling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think we do a disservice by trying to come in here and be a flipper. Um, because that's not our strong suit here yet. We don't have the resources yet, but I have a ton of connections with people like you guys. So I want to just kind of sit back and watch and, and learn from you guys and, and just wholesale. Uh, there's, uh, there's, there's no ego within Titanium anymore because we have, we've seen 
the the rise and the the people that try to blow up our ego with you know oh you're you're so popular on Facebook or the podcast and things like that and what they don't see behind the doors of the daily struggles and yeah. what goes into building what we have and so um, here in Arizona we want to just go strictly wholesaling and probably the same things in the markets like St Louis um, Tulsa Ohio and Alabama just strictly wholesaling and and keep that deal flow three to five deals a month per market. Um, one of the things that we talked about, if I remember correctly, um, is one of the reasons why RJ became the cookie monster <laughs> is because RJ had a lot of capital. Yep. And because he had a lot of capital, well, now you got to start making that money work for you. Yep. So some people are saying, man, I just need more money. If I can get more money, I'd be in good shape. But you raise so much capital, it puts you in a different bind. You want yeah. to talk about that? Yeah, I, I would love to talk about that because uh, a lot of times people don't want to talk about those problems, right? Mm-hmm. It's easy to talk about, I don't have money, but what about when you do have money and these didn't go all the way you planned, yeah. right? That's hard to swallow that pill and say, hey, I screwed up. You know, I, I've had to have some very humbling phone calls with my private money lenders and say, I probably shouldn't have bought 10 houses in one month in Alaska. Like that, that was probably a bad idea, you know? Um, RJ thought he was Superman mm-hmm. and, and he is, he's not, he's, he's not even Clark Kent. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, those are, those are humbling conversations to have. And I think, yeah, it's a lesson for everybody to learn. Like, um, don't, don't go out and try to outgrow yourself. To, to try to prove anything or compensate for some of your other failures. Um, part of the reason why we, we aggressively did that is because uh, we lost access to selling to that education group that mm-hmm. we could sell to. Um, so as wholesaling went, we lost access to a lot of our buyers. I mean, that education group basically kind of faded away and we didn't have that resource anymore. Mm-hmm. And when that went away, it was now we have to pivot and adjust our wholesaling business we have access to capital. So instead of wholesaling that one, we'll just take it down. And then it just kind of became the habit of we're just taking everything down. And what what was funny about it is we didn't realize the issues for quite a while because mm-hmm. we were still able to turn and burn and, and purchase properties, sell them, make money. But what nobody saw was this one that wasn't performing or wasn't going well and then one became two, two became three, because so many different markets. So think about it. I mean, we could literally have one bad property in each market. And that's 10 bad deals. Yeah. 10 bad deals is enough to probably shut somebody down. I you mean, know? that could be a quarter million dollars. Yeah, or more. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Some of these markets we're talking about, I mean, you know, Hawaii, and Av- I mean, we, we could purchase for five, six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars $800,000. I mean, one deal goes bad there. I mean, you're talking about, dude, that could be a million dollar loss, mm-hmm. you know? So... A lot of those issues uh, kind of compounded themselves because we just kept buying. And so really 2019, I mean, we had to lean down, really kind of look at ourselves in the mirror and say, hey, we're going to fix this. We're going to dig ourselves out of this. We had to have humbling conversations with our lenders and say, hey, we're, we're going to fix this because, see, here's the track record. Here's things that we're doing the right way. Um, and these are the common reasons why these failed. And it was because we just tried to move too fast. Uh, how, I mean, obviously I know the answer how the conversation was, but can you tell us about that conversation? With the lenders? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of times there was, it, it was actually, it was met with, with open arms and gratitude and the fact that we were willing to humble ourselves and have the conversation. They already knew it. They're mm-hmm. in it. You know, I mean, and, and, you know, if, if you tell somebody that it's going to take six weeks to flip a house and here you are four months later and still not on the market, like they know something's going wrong. And some of it was for legitimate reasons. I mean, we had some craziness happen. I mean, there was like the largest earthquake since the 1950s in Alaska that pretty much set back all of our rehabs. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, that that hurt. You know, yeah, but sure. but that excuse can only be used for so long, mm-hmm. you know, before the lender's like, yeah, got it, earthquake, but what are we doing now? Yeah, where's my money? Right. And so 
a lot of times the the conversation went well where it was like, hey, thank you for being open and honest. Thank you for coming with a plan on how we're going to get out from this. And also just reassuring them, like, no matter what happens, you will be made whole and, and you're going to get taken care of. And so uh, full transparency and, and just being open and honest with your lenders is the best way to go, you know, because they don't only want to hear about the victories. They want to hear about the bad things that are happening mm-hmm. in your company, too. Well, and that's the character, right? Like it's right. the, it's easy to accept all the, you know, the accolades right. when things are good. Yeah. But will you still be there when things go south? Yeah. And a lot of people hide and you don't find out about this until it's too late. Yeah. I mean, and look, sometimes it's hard, you know, I mean, we're also busy and a lot of times it's really hard when you have a lot of good things going on. I mean, there's the, like October sold 20 houses mm-hmm. you feel good but i gotta call this one guy on this one deal and explain hey this contractor messed up we had to go back out fix it there's going to be a delay and it's an uncomfortable for my personality type like if we have one thing go wrong like that it ruins the 20 victories yeah and that i can't i cannot overcome that so it's just something that um I'm working on it myself. I share that trait with Daniel Moore from Propelio. Yeah. I found that out. We've had conversations, and, and it's just something that it's uh, it's part of who, you know, we, we've we done the predictive index mm-hmm. um, with Gary Harper, and, and we're both the same, super high visionaries, venturers, and it's just a personality trait that we have. And so a lot of times those small losses can kind of consume me around the, the victories that we're having. I don't think it's a terrible quality. I have other friends that also have that same yeah. um, trait. And yeah, you can look at it as like, it kind of holds you back. Right. But it also is a reason why you can do so many great things. Right. Right. Everything's at high quality. You won't settle for right. mediocrity. So, you know, it's a yin and yang. Yeah. yeah. It sucks, right? That you can't celebrate the wins. Right. But that's the reason why you have so many wins. Right. It, I, you know, sometimes my partners give me a hard time about it though. They're like, hmm. RJ. Can we at least like high five, like celebrate, <laughs> like, you know, that was a big win, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm kind of like, I think we were talking about earlier, you know, you're like the Patriots. Yep. Now I personally don't like the Patriots. However, <laughs> I admire the hell out of them. Right. Right. And Bill Belichick, he might smile after winning the Super Bowl. Right. Might. Right. He started smiling <laughs> a lot more of these later ones. These I, later I, ones for sure. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think that huge gap in between three and four, like yeah. made him appreciate four, five and six a lot more. Yeah. So I think this is probably a good point to ask a question. Um, Elizabeth Navarrete has had, you know, had asked like um, importance of pivoting. If you had to ever reinvent yourself, yeah, 2019, we've we've been reinventing, you know, titanium investments from across the board, and really that comes directly from me. I'm still working on this, like fully casting the vision to Elijah and Cassie, and make sure that they fully understand what where we're going and they have instilled in me that that's what they want from me. They need that from me. And so, yeah, reinventing ourselves. Absolutely. And I know this is a a real estate investing podcast and I I don't want to get like super religious, but um, us also making sure that we are listening to our calling. We're all heavy believers and making sure that we are paying attention to what is being told of us and asked of us to do has made a world of difference for us here in the past couple of months. And um, reinventing ourselves from what we were, a lot of that comes from uh, difficult conversations with each other. And like you said, just striving for that greatness and not settling for the mediocrity and also just having the ability, another benefit of the podcast, right? I always get to interview people, get inspired, see what they're doing, um, and have amazing opportunities like coming out here to Phoenix and seeing what you guys are doing. I was talking to you about that earlier. You know, there's just so much amazing people that have multiple companies and are able, I asked you earlier, why are you doing all this? Mm-hmm. And you literally said, because it's, it's fun. I want to, like I, I can, Yeah, you know, and, and there for a while I had that 
joy in doing that. But then there was also kind of this weird, like, cause I have to mm-hmm. is why I'm going to do it. So being inspired by other people like you guys and, and this city here, um, definitely is, is a, one of the ways that we're reinventing ourselves currently. Awesome. Love it. Uh, and then Casey Della wants to know, uh, when's the time that you felt most fearful and what did, what did you do about it? Man, Casey always asks some of the best questions. I mean, her and Jason are some of our really good friends up in DFW. Um, you know, a, a lot of the times that I was most fearful are probably in 2017, 2018. Um, and part of the reason why is because we had tasted success. We had had those rock star consistent months where we were doing six figures over six figures and growing. And, and then there was times where we would have dips or what I call the roller coaster where maybe you weren't as consistent with your marketing as you should have been or lack of focus or whatever, the follow-up game, wherever you have to make those adjustments and pivot, we didn't. And the fear was that what we thought we had built wasn't. And I call it the glass castle. Like, did I build this glass castle and it's actually made out of glass? And that's where creating that passive income comes from. That's why we want that goal. Um, we, we have a huge audacious goal um, that we all share, um, which is I want to own 1% of the United States. And everybody always looks at me and like, that's the most asinine goal of all time. Like, you're never going to get it. And I'm like, right. But if I try really hard mm-hmm. and I still fail, I'm going to be way far ahead, you know? Well, as long as RJ's around to fly me wherever, <laughs> that's all I really need out of this. Right, right. <laughs> so so being, the, going back to that and why I was fearful of that is because I thought that we could lose everything because we hadn't set up the foundation correctly. Um and reinventing ourselves in 2019, what I realize is, is that we do have a solid foundation with the people. I know I'm surrounding myself with the right people. I know that the vision is there and I know that we can succeed, but also more than anything, just making sure that, like I said, you know, we, we are listening to, to what we're being told to do and what we're called to do on this planet. Gotcha. And then Charles Nguyen wants to know, um, how are you attracting top talent to work with you in these multiple markets? And also, how are you retaining them? So we've actually, this is another way we've reinvented ourselves, right? We, we used to have massive organization with 70 plus employees, and now we've shifted it to where in order to have that top talent, we're going out and we're talking to other people collaborating a little bit with them as much as we can, like not, not Phoenix style, Mm -hmm. right. But going out and asking like, Hey, who's the best realtor? Who's the best contractor? Who are you using for lending? Who's the best title company and building a team that way, especially in markets like Hawaii and Alaska. Like now at this point in time in those markets, we feel like we have the best realtors in town. Instead of us going and saying, hey, we want to open up our own brokerage in Hawaii, which is what crazy ass 2017, 2018 RJ said, like titanium realty in Hawaii and of Alaska, like we were going to own all of it, right? Mm-hmm. Now it's like, hey, there's already people there. Like now we're, we're making sure we have the best realtors in Hawaii and Alaska. We have great contractors that have multiple crews. We have the greatest title companies. Like we're so, that's our team now. And it's managed by titanium investments. So we're actually kind of now a lot leaner and outsourcing those things to people that are meant to, they have their company set up to be great. Perfect. Uh, Israel Torres wants to know, starting all over, would you do rentals again first uh, or would you go the, um, the right way in your real estate career? Or how would you go the right way? Um, so that's going to be dependent on, whether or not, I I guess he's talking about just specifically passive income. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you are able to go out and get 
loans where you can refinance and wrap the mortgages like I am doing for owner finance, then I would say do that over rentals, Mm -hmm. especially first getting started. Because once the transaction is done, you no longer have to worry about if the AC is going to go out or if the foundation slips or if the roof needs to be replaced. And so you're creating that passive income. Yeah, you're going to lose the the equity. You're going to lose the ability for appreciation over the course of time. But the passive income is going to be consistent, less headache, and eventually down the road, once you're a little bit more established and you have a better team in place for property management, then you can start moving into rentals. And Dan McCutcheon wants to know what tips you have for vetting project managers slash boots on the ground in the other markets. So, yeah, I mean, on some of that, I think we have failed a little bit when we've assumed because they've had successful careers in certain aspects of real estate that that would mean they understood construction. Um, I think that they need to have some sort of background when it comes to construction. For example, um, we've worked with other wholesalers that we needed them to be the boots on ground. Well, they were a wholesaler. They didn't have experience in the construction or a realtor or things along those lines where just because they understood real estate didn't mean that they were going to be a good project manager or know what to look for. So for me, first and foremost, I want to make sure that they have that background when it comes to construction, not just real estate. And then, you know, there's a lot of different hiring processes out there. Um, You know, Gary Harper is a great one that kind of handholds. He helps people for free all the time with that. You know, I'm not going to say I'm a a hiring expert by any means because we've made a lot of bad decisions when it comes to that. But those would be the best tips I could get as far as a project manager. Awesome. Uh, Let's see what else was there. Um, Sorry, there's a lot of... um, Annie says to get up and hug. and uh, (laughs) That's just not going to happen. Are you sure? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> be a record-breaking 96th episode of Real Estate Disruptors. <laughs> First hug on the podcast. Yeah, that's not going to happen. So uh, Sam Velasquez wants to know, how are you handling dispositions and markets that you do wholesale? Do you so, as retail buyers as well as cash buyers? So, I mean, obviously the, the podcast helps with that. A lot of people know who RJ Bates is just because of the podcast. So sometimes I get like people that they think it's pretty cool when I reach out to them and try to dispo them a property, mm-hmm. you know, that, that alone kind of helps another benefit of the podcast. But, um, I'm, I'm just going to take a moment to say, I mean, we do a lot of what, uh, Jamil from Key Glee talks about co-wholesaling mm-hmm. like finding somebody in the market. That's going to be more experienced. If I can't move it within a couple of days, I have no problem reaching out to the big player in the market. I'm not going to be the big player in St. Louis, Missouri. Mm-hmm. I have no desire to do that. But I do have a desire to to move properties there because we have done a lot of there. We've owned many rentals there, and we get deals on a regular basis. So I'm going to move them. But if it's easier for me to just reach out to someone and co-wholesale it and split it 50-50, then we're going to do that. So. Right. I am always looking to JV, either have people send me deals or I send deals to them to dispo. Gotcha. Uh, Raheem Owens wants to know, if you were starting all over again, what would you do? Um, I wouldn't change anything that I did from the first two years, which was just strictly wholesale, learn this industry, make connections. Uh, I would say I would have gotten out there a lot more, a lot quicker than I did. Um, I would have been attending every RIA, every meetup. Um, whereas I, we didn't do that cause I was so busy just hustling and finding deals and selling them that I, I didn't think that was important. Right mm-hmm. now I understand the community aspect of this and how much that can help. Um, the things that I would have changed is just gone a lot slower when it came to changing the strat, adding strategies. If I want to flip a house, don't go flip three or four at a time, even though when we first started doing that, that was successful. The problem was it was successful, not because we were a great company. It was because RJ and Cassie were really good at functioning within the chaos. And so when other people had to function within the chaos and they weren't good at handling it because we didn't have the right systems and processes, that's where I would have slowed down 
and said, even though RJ and Cassie can handle the chaos, we need to make sure there is no chaos. So doing those things and slowing down, which is pretty much what we've done this year, slowed way down and just tried to make sure we tighten things up. Michael Sargent wants to know, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Well, I, I think that we have a pretty clear path on the markets that we want to be in. Um, I think that we are going to continue to grow the passive income route and, and try to own more real estate. Like That is a passion of ours, and we know that's something we want to do. Um, I think within the next 10 years, we're definitely going to see that long-awaited correction that we all want to see, where mm -hmm. we can scoop up as much as we can. Um, so I think I see us buying a lot over the next 10 years. Um, but as far as a, a company in and of itself, I think that, you know, we want to continue to reach as many people as possible, work with as many people as possible, and just continue to grow this to the pace that makes us happy on the inside. Like, I, I want to look at, um, myself the same way I look at people like you where it's like I, I do it because I want to not mm -hmm. because I feel like I have to yeah and if in 10 years that I mean I hope it's a lot quicker in 10 years but, but 10 definitely years. in 10 years I want to yeah. be at the place where it's like hey this is exactly where I want to be right and I want to own a longhorn longhorn cow yeah longhorns that's you just it's just that, that yeah that's where I would, that <laughs> if i have owned a longhorn in 10 years i'll be a lot happy yeah um uh would you do lease options over wholesales herman Suarez wants to know uh so in texas lease op texans messed up lease options a long time ago they're yeah. severely frowned upon so we don't get to do them like the rest of you guys we can but it's very heavily scrutinized mm -hmm. that's why a lot of Texans talk about owner financing. That is our version of the the lease option. So, gotcha. Um, no, so, uh, TREC came down, cracked down. You guys, yeah, yeah. And and I would say no. You need to wholesale over doing lease options to start with. Like yeah. lease options is a little bit of an advanced strategy from wholesaling. Do wholesaling first so you understand the game. All right. So let's see what else out there. Uh, Rick Saul wants to know which rental markets are you most interested in. What's up, Rick? That's, that's uh, one of Elijah's buddies. Um, mm -hmm. So he, he used to live out in Hawaii for a while. Um, so two of the markets that I'm most excited about are Hawaii and Alaska. Strangely enough, they're higher price points, but they, they cash flow great. Um, we can go find a, a rental um, on the, the west side of Oahu, 150000 160000 get anywhere from 2500 to 3000 a month. You buy properties in Hawaii for under 200000 Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So in the right locations, you, you can find really good deals there. And and that's why, you know, a lot of people compare it to California, mm -hmm. right? And, it, and it's not. I mean, it's it's its own little, it's got its areas, you know? I mean, yeah. it's got the high price point areas, but it's got the low price point. It's got, Section 8 is basically the whole island. Like, you can Section 8 anything. It's based off the bedrooms. Hmm. So... Um, that's one of the markets. Alaska is another one. Um, that's a great area where, you know, we, we bought a couple of five plexes there, 250, and we're able to get 5,000 a month in rent. So, um, those are two of the, the markets that I'm most interested in. But if you want to stay in a lower price bracket, you know, I love St. Louis and, and obviously Ohio is a great cash flow market as well. Yeah. I've thought about Max and I are talking about it. Not now but maybe some point in 2020 looking at Ohio or St. Louis or somewhere because the properties you can buy there. Well, yeah, it's such a low barrier of entry. You yeah. know, I mean, you, you can go to St. Louis or Ohio and buy five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars mm -hmm. and, and be renting out for seven to $850 a month. Yeah. That math just doesn't add up, but that's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty crazy. Uh, Matt Smith wants to know if titanium Tuesdays is ever coming back. <laughs> Uh, so Titanium Tuesdays was our show on Propelio TV. Um, stay tuned. Yeah. Something's in the works there. Very cool. And Ricky Morgan wants to know, what's your buy and hold criteria? So it depends on the market. I mean, I, I can't sit here and say, you know, it's going to be X, Y, Z. I just gave some examples there of like what we would do in Hawaii and Alaska. Um, but like you just brought up St. Louis and Ohio. Like I'm not gonna go buy a property for forty thousand 
and rent it out for 800 a month in St. Louis because I know I can go buy it for five myself and fix it up for probably 10 and be all in at 15 and rent it for 800 a month. Yeah. So each market's going to have its own set of criteria there. Um, the other thing that most people don't ever want to talk about if you're if you like the leverage or rentals is that some of those crazy markets are also really hard to refinance and get loans from banks. So that's another each market's going to have its own little mm-hmm. barrier of entry and and that's probably the one in St. Louis and Ohio, but then again it's like maybe I don't have a problem parking $25,000 in that property and just owning it free and clear. So, so this is the first time I've heard this challenge. So what is the challenge with having the bank refi it? They don't want to give you a loan for less than $50,000. Mm, because they're not making money. I got it. Well, yeah, because they will actually get in trouble if their fees like exceed a certain amount. Like if it's mm-hmm. such a large percent, they're like, whoa, what's going on here? So yeah, you have to look at blanket loans or portfolio loans, private money that might want to park in for five or 10 years and look mm-hmm. at amortizing it a lot quicker. So yeah. There's different ways to get around that, but sometimes getting bank loans is harder in those those high cash flow markets. Gotcha. And Elizabeth Navarrete wants to know what's next for you. So we've we've got a lot in the works as far as you know Hawaii and Alaska are going to be a huge part. Um, Arizona and Texas are going to be a huge part of us. Um, I I want to change a couple things uh, about the Titanium Vault the podcast. Um, I've literally had meetings with Dutch Jackson. Dutch, what's up, buddy? Um, where I've said, how can we disrupt the real estate investing podcast game the same way Steve Train did? Like, this is what Steve did. Yeah. I want to do something now to change it. So I've got a couple of things in the works there. So I can take all of your listeners. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> no, that works. There's no competition. Right, right. right. So uh, there's a couple things there. Um, we've also started um, our media company with Dutch mm-hmm. where, you know, that was not in the plans uh, anytime soon. But, you know, like I said, we're just listening to what's coming our way. Dutch fell in our laps. If you haven't listened to Dutch. Um, they have by default by listening to the show. There you go. There you go. So his album, D for D, Spotify, iTunes, amazing. It's about real estate investing. Um, you know, I asked him who does his videography. He said, I do. And I was like, that's impossible, bro. Like you're in the video. And he's like, <laughs> I just tell someone to hold the camera and then I edit it. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, come do some videography for us. Created some amazing YouTube out, uh, videos for us. And, you know, one thing led to another, and he was kind of like, look, man, I'm the artist. I want to stay the artist. I don't want to have to run this business and do all the videography and the music and everything. So we partnered together. Um, the new company, Titanium Vision, mm-hmm. um, is is what we're naming it. And uh, we're going to be doing videography, songs. I mean, pretty much anything you think of within the media world, um, we're going to be doing that together. And I I love it because it's – working with the right people. Like yeah. Dutch has been such a blessing to, to mine and Cassie's life. And uh, so that's something new. Um, and then just continuing to grow Beat Kids Cancer. Uh, we're at the point now where we're actually having to add executive directors to the board because we've raised so much money. Um, we're in a new tax bracket. So uh, IRS says we need two more executive directors. So we're gonna be doing that. And continuing to grow the the charity there, and eventually start having um, events outside of the state of Texas. So one thing that you and I were talking about earlier, uh, we, uh, you, me, and Cassie had lunch, and you were asking that question. You know, why do I do what I do? Yep. Right. And I want to talk about what one of the things you, you mentioned with me over lunch was that your boys playing at what is it? American Airlines Center. Right. Yeah. And you got our, uh, and you got Dutch coming to film it. Yeah. Right. So like. Why do we do what we do? Why do we subject ourselves to the torture? Why do we work these long hours? Yep. You know, like for a while, you're working 80 hours a week to make less money than you did yep. when you're working 40 hours a week. Like, why do we subject ourselves to this? Yeah. But then your boy's playing and you got Dutch coming to film it. Yep. And you can record that. It's a memory. Yep. You can share that with the other kids' parents. Like, we have things, we get to do fun things. Yeah. We get to dictate what we do, when we do it, how we want to do it, with whoever we want to do it with. Yep. You know, and so. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, 
Um, one of the things Elijah has been, I, I mean, I'm not even going to say preach. Yeah, I mean, he has been demanding that this is something that we do from now on is um, we literally demand the things that come into our lives. And mm-hmm. and it's funny that he's been he's been saying this because, like, I didn't know if the Dallas Stars would allow Dutch to come film. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just been chirping in my ear, like, from now on, we demand this is what we want, and it's going to come into our lives. Okay, okay, whatever. <laughs> you know, I, I got to blow him off like crazy Elijah. And then I thought about it. Literally, I thought about this last Saturday right before Trinity's hockey game, and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to ask. I'm just going to tell him this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. So I went up, and I was like, hey, my videographer is going to come, and he's going to film all the kids, and we're going to make it cool, super slow-mo with the kids coming out. And then uh, each parent, y'all want to chip in like 15, 20 bucks to Dutch's way to help him out for his time. And they were like, yeah, you okay. know, what I'm like, this is, a, that was awesome. You know, yeah. like nobody was like, it wasn't me asking like timidly, like, can we please come in and film in America? <laughs> it was like, Hey, this is what we, this is what we're going to do. And you're absolutely right, man. It is amazing that we have that opportunity because of real estate investing is the platform, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's opened up all these other things that we can do. Um, I would have never thought that – I would have thought three months ago I'd have a videographer come in to w- film my kid playing at American Airlines Center. Right. But here it is. Well, yeah. here it is. And you get to bless Dutch. Yep. And you get to bless all those other parents and give them something yep. their kids to have, Yep. you know, when they look at this down the road. Absolutely. Uh, Michael Sargent wants to know, do you deal with commercial real estate? Yes. Yes, we do. Um, you know, not as much. Um, we've done small multifamily. We've we've had a couple of deals, um, you know, smaller commercial. But yeah, I mean, we we there's very little when it comes to real estate, and at this point in time, that we haven't done a done a little bit of. All right. So let's see what else is there. Um, all right. So let's see some of these other questions. Uh, what is, what would you say is your biggest struggle at this exact moment? You know, my biggest struggle right now would be getting rid of some of the mistakes as far as deals that we probably shouldn't have done, overcoming some of those challenges. Um, but man, I, we're, we're so blessed to be in the position that we're in. I, I mean, I can't even say it's, it's a struggle in comparison to where we were five, six, seven years ago. These are these are struggles that I asked for, that mm-hmm. I, I begged and pleaded God to put in my life, you know. And, and now, it, sometimes does it suck to have to deal with them? Yeah, but w- these are things that we've been working on through the whole year to make sure we alleviate ourselves from some of those issues. Um, and, and honestly, if there was just one thing in my life that I could say, Hey, make it go away, let the end result be what the end result is. It's just some of those, those deals that we've had in, in process for too long. And some of them sitting on the market for a little bit longer outside that man, everything is beautiful. Gotcha. And what is your superpower? So I, I really, I thought about this two ways. I thought I could go like the the sappy route, but I'm gonna go the route that you know I I've actually I do feel this way. I think it's magnetism. Mm-hmm. And the first time I ever said this, it was a joke, okay? Because I think the most powerful superhero ever created is Magneto mm-hmm. from X Men. I'm like he controls metal. Yeah. Like screw everybody else. He can literally like pull all the metal and just wrap it around them. Yeah. You know. I'm like. Mm-hmm. So I, I said it as a joke, and then I started thinking about it, and I truly believe that, I mean, a lot of what we've been able to do as a company has come from the relationships that I have been able to establish with people. I mean, really, all of Titanium Investments is based around relationships. Without that, um, we're not in other markets. We're, we're probably not talking about flipping houses. Mm-hmm. We're, we're probably talking about me wholesaling a lot. Yeah. Um, so magnetism is my, you know, given superpower where I just feel like I'm able to connect with people and 
make it a reciprocal relationship. And I think that's one of the key things in building a relationship is I don't go to you and ask you for something. Like, for example, I'm not going to come to you and ask you multiple times if I come on your podcast. Yeah. Because that's going to be the first way to know that I'm not going to be on your podcast, yeah. right? Right. Instead, I make you fly to Houston <laughs> and wear a suit and stand in line and ask me. Yeah. Right? And give two presentations. And give two presentations. For the right to ask RJ to come on the show. <laughs> So that's why magnetism is my yeah. superpower. No, but I, I will say that that is it, relationships have been so vital to us, you know, and, and going back to what I was saying, you know, it making sure it's a reciprocal relationship, all jokes aside. Awesome. Very cool. So um, got two quick announcements and I'll let you think about a last thoughts that you want to leave the listeners with. Okay. All right. So um, next week we're going to finish the year with Matt Strong. He's coming down from Salt Lake City. Uh, I met him and strategic coach and the things that they're doing in Salt Lake City as far as lending goes, I mean, they're charging a lot. It's working and he's doing really well. So if you want to find out how he's, you know, able to build his uh, hard money business in Salt Lake City, uh, tune in next Wednesday at 2 p.m. And then in just a few minutes after this uh, show ends, my business partner, Max, and I are going to be doing a Q&A about our upcoming workshop uh, in on January 10th through 12th. So if you guys are interested, we're going to be, again, we're going to be launching a live uh, shortly after this episode to talk about our upcoming workshop. Um, and so with that said, last thoughts. So, uh, you know, we, we talked about a lot of different aspects of my business. So I just want to recap a couple of things as far as raising private capital goes, um, best ways to do that. Find a medium that you can be consistent with mm -hmm. and join masterminds. Get get your face and your voice out there. Slow down to go faster. Um, that is the best advice I could give to anyone that has this huge vision for what they want. Um, you, you can kill yourself and your company. Um, and then last, uh, but definitely not least, every relationship give more than you take yeah so and that being said buddy i just want to say the platform that you have created is unbelievable for all of us to come on here thank you so much for what you've given to yeah. this community i know that it means a lot to you to to do this and what you've created you and i spoke right before you started and uh, it's it's just an honor to be able to to come on the show, but also to see what you've been able to create. I appreciate it very much. And, you know, we're following, you know, other footsteps, right? Someone's yes. already uh, set the pathway for us. So right. I appreciate it. Yeah, uh, if someone wants to get a hold of you, how do they do that? So Facebook, uh, Facebook Messenger, RJ Bates III. Um, Instagram, RJ Bates III. NextLevelFlipping.com if you want to join the mastermind. And I have a running tradition that I get my cell phone number out. All right. Good luck. I know. 817-915-6860. <laughs> call me if you want to sell me a property or do business. Don't call me if you want to prank call me at 3 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> great, great episode. You want a hug? Thank you. No, thank you. No hug. No, okay. thank you. Thank you guys for watching. Appreciate it.